You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the Grog Cinematic Universe. I'm Randy. Pull up a log. This is the Friday the 13th special, part four. Much like Jason himself, this special series just won't stay dead. It's been a while since our last episode. I'll be honest, I've been here camping out the whole time. And you know what? 2020 and most of 2021 for that matter not a bad year year and a half or so to skip just just living out here in the sticks off the grid me and my campfire not really if you follow the Grolix podcast we've been podcasting weekly we've been doing live streams every week and we talk about movies a lot so if you haven't been checking those out you definitely should sorry to be neglectful of this podcast feed the show's not dead though it's just, you know, taking its time. So what are we talking about? The 2009 Friday the 13th. The one single Jason film official, I'm not going to count the fan films, official Friday the 13th film that we have yet to cover on the podcast. Well, let's put a nail in this coffin. Friday the 13th, 2009. So this was one of many, many horror classics that got the remake, reboot, re-envisioning treatment in the 2000s. There was definitely a boom of remaking classic horror movies. My Bloody Valentine, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Prom Night, Halloween, Black Christmas, The Hills Have Eyes, House of Wax, Last House on the Left, and that's just the slashers and slasher-adjacent movies. They went wild remaking movies, of course. I mean, you know... That's how Hollywood does. If one does well, you can expect there's just going to be a flood of it. I mean, they still, they'll still do that once in a while here in 2021, like the past 10 years since the first decade of the 2000s. They'll still remake them, but definitely not at the rate at which they were from 2000 to 2010. I want to say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was an earlier one in that decade that did well. And so I think that really in terms, especially when it comes to Platinum Dunes, the production company behind the Friday the 13th, 2009 movie, which we will be talking about more here in a moment. They really were kind of a driving force for some of these. I feel like the ring kind of kicked off the American remakes of uh, J horror and Korean horror movies. And, you know, just that Asian horror flood that we got the remakes of those movies, I should say. And then, yeah, I mean, th- they did the Wicker Man to uh, very memeable results. And it, you were there. So, you know. This came in towards the end of it. 
it's a little surprising actually. I mean, I guess Freddy versus Jason was post 2000s anyway, so it's a little surprising though that they waited till 2009 before they got around to Friday the 13th. Is this inherently a bad thing? They remade all these movies? Yeah, in my opinion, yes. In my opinion, yes. And it's they're not all horrible. I remember House of Wax being particularly crap. And that's one of those instances where the original wasn't amazing to begin with. So, like, there was room to work there. But then, like, you throw Paris Hilton in there. Like, what are you doing? Um, But overall, a lot of these, they tried to make gritty and darker, which sounds amazing on paper. But... Most of the time, they didn't add a lot. They didn't bring a lot of new stuff. They it just like, you know, just an updating and a uh, grimier, yet at the same time, slicker aesthetic. It felt unnecessary. And a lot of them felt just soulless, really. That's not to say the people behind making these films, they weren't interested or not everybody involved with these were just hacks. But... I was looking through a list of horror remakes in the 2000s, and there were so many where I was like, oh yeah, totally forgettable. But where does Friday the 13th 2009 fall? Is it forgettable, or is it a worthwhile watch? First, let's jump into a little bit of details about the movie itself. The MovieDB.org overview states a group of young adults visit a boarded-up campsite named Crystal Lake, where they soon encounter the mysterious... Jason Voorhees and his deadly intentions, which right there, clearly this is not a remake of the first Friday the 13th. I would put this more in a reboot slash soft reboot. It basically takes the things that happened before, condenses it down, and obviously ignores like the Jason X and all that. But we also get a like alternate version of It's an alternate history, right? So yeah, whatever. It's a reboot. So who made this film? Story by Mark Wheaton, Mark Smith, and Damian Shannon. Screenplay by the writing team of Mark Swift and Damian Shannon, who have also penned the screenplays for Freddy vs. Jason and 2017's Baywatch. We've covered both of those shows on the podcast. We reviewed... Freddy vs. Jason, along with Alien vs. Predator, in one of my favorite episodes, episode number 14. It was one of our Halloween episodes from a couple years ago. Great episode. If you haven't heard our discussion on that, Jasper and I reviewed those two movies. A lot of fun. Before that, way, way back, on the very first episode of the podcast, we talked about Baywatch. We paired that up with Knight Rider 2000. These guys, I didn't know it. These guys are GCU Hall of Famers, which kind of makes me question what exactly the show is about. Because when I look through their when I w- look through their filmography, there's not a lot of movies there. I'm just like, oh, but we've covered all of them, <laughs> so you know, you know, whatever. Directed by Marcus Nispel, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I'm sorry. He's a German director with an impressive body of work in music videos all throughout the '90s many of which he worked on with this film's cinematographer, who he had also teamed up with on his first feature-length film, which was 2003's remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He also directed a 2004 version of Frankenstein for television. In 2007, he directed Pathfinder. 
the 2011 remake of Conan the Barbarian, which I've never watched, and I'm not going to judge the movie, having never seen any of it. But why, why? Who thought it was a good idea to remake Conan? Anyway, most recently, he's directed, is it Exeter? Exeter? A film released as The Asylum in the UK. Over here, I believe it's called Exeter, something like that, in 2015. Yeah, looks, I've never seen it. Looks interesting. Cinematography. Daniel Pearl. Pearl also worked with Nespel as director of photography on the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But for Pearl, that was a return to the franchise because his first feature film job as a cinematographer was on the original 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That makes him horror royalty. And now slight spoilers for my general thoughts on the movie because I'm still in the setting up phase of the podcast here. Yeah, he does good work and that's a high point of this film, I feel. Throughout the 80s till just recently, he shot a prolific amount of super high profile music videos. For real, like if you look him up on IMDb, it's mostly he's done he's done some films, an uptick in the amount of films he's done post the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake or reboot, but throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, up until like 2019, he's made uh, I think there were 400 plus he's made so many music videos. After the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he continued to work with Nispel on Frankenstein and Pathfinder. He also shot Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, 2016's The Boy, and the 2017 Nicolas Cage flick, Mom and Dad, which one day we will 100% definitely be covering on this podcast. It's not a bad flick. And it's Nicolas Cage. The score is by Steve Jablonski, who also provided the score for the remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Amityville Horror, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remakes, remember. He looks to be a go-to for Michael Bay, also having worked on, amongst other films, several of the Transformer movies, Pain and Gain, and one of the few Michael Bay films I recall genuinely enjoying, The Island. I don't know if it holds up to a rewatch, but back in the day when it came out, I remember liking The Island. Total side side tangent, there is a, there's a big action, of course, there's a big, in The Island, there's a big action scene on a highway in which like a car flips back over front, some crazy car stunt. And Michael Bay's used it in like all of his major action movies since. Like he's taken that element, the car flipping from that movie, and it's in Transformers. I think it's the car that the one, tra- I, don't, I don't remember which Transformer movie, where one of the Transformers stomps on a car and jumps and the car like crushes down and flips over. Yeah, that's the car in the island. If you watch the island, you'll see that exact same clip. So whatever. Total aside. Speaking of Michael Bay, this film was produced by Platinum Dunes, as I mentioned before, his production company alongside filmmakers Brad Fuller and Andrew Form. Now, New Line Cinema had approached the producers about remaking Friday the 13th like they had for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which had effectively rebooted the franchise, and they were then able to make sequels or prequels, really, off of that 2003 remake. So my assumption is New Line's like, hey, what other franchise? We got Friday the 13th. Let's do that for this. Or do this for that, whatever. 
quid pro quo. Now, <laughs> despite making over $91 million worldwide, the Friday the 13th movie, that is, on a $19 million budget, the 2009 Friday the 13th did not spin off any sequels. In fact, this is the last official Jason film produced to date. What What happened? Well, I fell down a rabbit hole preparing this episode on Wikipedia and various other places that I'm not going to include all that information. We're going to go through a little journey here. But man, when a film gets stuck in Hollywood uh, development hell, as they say, it's crazy to try to follow through like all the different incarnations. If you're bored, try to dig up information on all the different versions of the movie that eventually became Freddy vs. Jason. There were so many scripts written for the potential Freddy vs. Jason movie before we actually finally got that movie that are wild. Try to look that stuff up. It's pretty interesting. That's a fun rabbit hole to fall down if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Anyway, back to Friday the 13th. So there was a sequel to this film in the works for some time, but with the film being a joint effort between New Line and Paramount Pictures and the rights to the franchise split between Paramount and New Line's parent company, Warner Brothers... According to Wikipedia, some cluster muck of studio financial issues and behind-the-scenes politics kept pushing the project back. Eventually, Warner Brothers handed the film rights over to Paramount as part of a deal wrapped up in the production of Interstellar. And between 2013 and 2018, there's all kinds of information about what the next Friday film almost was. At some point, the studio had mandated it. At some point, the studio had mandated that it was to be a found footage film. Oh my God, I, I, I think I remember hearing that. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. The word reboot was, of course, once again, being thrown about. And the reboot would serve as an origin story for Jason. And Platinum Dunes was even reportedly searching for an actor to play young Jason, and it would also feature his mother. They were gonna reboot it again, why? I get that they're trying to like, well, can't we need to make an interesting story? Just that's slashers aren't necessarily not all. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule, but slashers aren't necessarily about an interesting story. You need to figure out how to make the formula interesting. You know what? They're the filmmakers, not me. I'm not going to tell them what they need to do, but I can at least say what I look for when I'm watching one of these. Anyway, of course, the main thing holding back any new Jason films is the lawsuit between Victor Miller, who wrote the original film and Sean S Cunningham director of the original film and producer of many of the sequels. If you recall, we mentioned on previous Friday, the 13th specials, the rights were tied up in this lawsuit. Yeah, that's, that's still not settled. Miller filed the lawsuit in 2016, I believe, and actually won the settlement in 2018. However, Cunningham appealed, and as far as I can gather, and I'm obviously no lawyer, it just seems like a mess, the settlement has just been stuck in limbo since then. Of course, along with it, the ability for anyone to produce a new film. Now, within, like, seriously, the last couple weeks, there's been news that a settlement is close. It's either been made or is close to being made. But the main source of that news is Corey Feldman. So, you know grain of salt with all that at the time of this recording there hasn't been official word on it but you know what that's not all 
There's actually another lawsuit filed this year in relation to the property. Cunningham filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers and Paramount Pictures over quote unquote Hollywood accounting in relation to the Friday the 13th franchise. Basically, he claims that the studios have underreported various revenue from the franchise, undervalued the film's licenses, quote, systematically misaccounted, end quote, fees and bonuses, and so forth and so on. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think this is the kind of lawsuit, though, that would hold up future productions like the rights lawsuit has. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but this looks pretty much like him being like, hey, these studios have been using very creative Hollywood accounting to screw me out of money, I guess. And I'm not sure the state of that either. I think was it, it was like in January that that lawsuit was filed. I don't know what the situation with that is either, if that's been resolved or not. I'm going to assume not. All right. Well, I suppose eventually I should actually talk about the film on hand. So I'm not going to run through the whole plot, the whole story, break it down, kill by kill or anything. I'll try to keep the whole plot thing very general as the plot thing kind of is, but the movie's broke into a couple of interesting pieces. It opens and this is just a, I don't know, a couple minutes long. And it basically gives us necessary info from the first film. Of course, they're not going to remake the entirety of the first film because the first film did not have Jason in it. Uh, not really, not as, not as the Jason that modern audiences will be expecting. So they're not going to remake that. We get a recreation of the Pamela Voorhees murder. It's weird to put it as a murder, but she was murdered, even if it is out of self-defense. But we see a version of the final girl from the first Friday the 13th and a version of Pamela Voorhees. Pamela gets her head macheted off, and it's all kind of grainy, but black and white. And I don't really care for the look of the opening scene. And also, I, I guess there's probably a lot of factors that went into not using footage from the original. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. The more likely scenario is they didn't want to potentially put off younger audiences by opening their movie with film that obviously looks like it was a somewhat low budget 1979 production because that's what the original was. So they reshot it. Also, like they do in, I think it was Friday the 13th part three. There's a whole thing with one of the girls looking similar to his mother and so maybe they wanted to be sure to cast a lady to play his mother that looked more similar to you know Whitney Miller is the character later in the movie you know whatever it's fine it, it, they place it in 1980 even though my whole thing is with this if as a fan of the old school Friday the 13th films it would have gone a long way to garner some goodwill right off the bat if you actually opened with footage from the original film. But that's fine. Whatever. So that sets up the whole Pamela Voorhees thing. Then we are off to some follow some 20-something-year-old kids. They're not kids. Everyone in this movie is clearly much older. But, you know, I guess college-age people following them through the woods, and it's now. It's 2009, and... We're following generic people through the woods. They're going to look for some weed. <laughs> uh, I mean, two of the guys are looking for weed. I don't know what if everyone else is just camping along with them and don't know about this plan to find this weed field that somehow they know about that they're going to go steal a bunch of weed and become rich. 
I, I don't know. That's their plan, though. They set up a camp. We get a campfire scene, and we get the whole exposition dropped on us in the more usual way of, you know, scary campfire tales. The whole scary campfire tale is just like a dude, here's what happened to Pamela Voorhees, and, and Jason seen it. And so I guess that's an interesting, maybe they've done that in some of the other films, doing the whole, like, Jason was alive at the time and seen it. This is a bigger issue with the weird continuity of the films to begin with. But if Jason was alive to see it, why was Pamela Voorhees murdering people out of revenge for Jason's drowning? Doesn't matter. It's just weird. It's smartly. I'm not knocking the movie for not addressing it directly, but it doesn't. And then murders start happening. <laughs> I mean, we just found, if you look through a bunch of reviews for this movie online, there's an interesting like thing that a lot of people picked up on because it feels like the inciting incident. The whole reason Jason starts murdering people is because people keep finding this patch of weed. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people are just like, so yeah, uh, Jason murders people because uh, they keep stealing his, his weed. It does kind of seem that way. I think maybe that's just their way to shoehorn in drugs all the time because everybody's got to be obsessed with sex and or smoking weed so that they get murdered. And that actually kind of brings me to the main thing that I think it's just one of the things that holds it back. The script is not great. The characters kind of suck. Now saying the characters suck in a Friday the 13th film, <laughs> it, it's like, well, duh. But it's, it's that kind of particular suck where there's a couple characters who aren't completely obsessed with sex. Guess who makes it to the end of the movie? And then everyone else is just sex-obsessed or weed-obsessed. And that's that's it. I mean, they have little character traits, but for, most, for the most part, that's what drives all the dialogue. And I'm not saying that's not accurate to how some 80s slashers were, but I didn't like it in there either. So if you're going to try to revamp some of these and maybe make them better films. You don't have to slavishly follow every cliche that the slasher films do, and that includes hiring a 13-year-old boy to write your scripts, and that's kind of how that comes across sometimes. That's one of my major kind of complaints about it. Anyhow, we get some kills because uh, somebody found Jason's weed, and Jason's angry about it. The first Jason kill in this is off screen. We do gleam though that Jason's moving quickly. And that's, I think the big change to Jason in this film is, you know, Michael Myers will just like stand around or maybe just kind of walk. And that's scary. Typically Jason also just walks, but he'll like power walk at you and he can cover some crazy ground just power walking. This Jason straight up runs at you, just full dashes at you. And that's scary, but it's weird. And as I was rewatching this movie for this episode, I was kind of like, man, I prefer the power walk. That seems more intimidating. And I get, you know, it's scary if somebody's just going to come like, especially a big guy like that is just going to come barreling at you. Scary. But the appeal of the power walk, Jason, is that he doesn't have to exert that much energy to come get you 
and he's still going to come get you and you can't stop him. It's just more of that feeling of an unstoppable force just coming at you as opposed to something straight barreling at you. You can dodge out of the way of something straight barreling at you if you're quick enough, but like power walk Jason, it doesn't matter because he's, <laughs> he's power walking and you can't escape him. You can't dodge out of the way of that. <laughs> That's a power walk. <laughs> what do you <laughs> listen? My logic is sound. Okay. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. The other campers get killed. Let's fast forward this. We finally get the title card. So, you know, it went 20 something minutes in before we actually got Friday the 13th. I actually am kind of okay with this. I like that we essentially have a super condensed 20 minute Friday movie of just, here's this group of people, Jason's just gonna power kill through all of them. They're not amazing kills, but he's gonna blow through all of them. And we get that before we even get the title card. Hey, that's interesting to me. I do like that. We don't know what happened to Whitney Miller. And since I know her character's name, I'm gonna guess she's significant. But that's when we actually get into the rest of the movie. We meet the actual group of mid to upper 20-something not, not teens that will be murdered this evening. Of the new characters, the characters that we're actually going to be following, there's a group of people who are going out to this one D-Bag's house to party. And then we have another guy played by Jared Padlecki, who Supernatural fans know. And they're like, it's, it's Sam. Uh, I've never really watched Supernatural, and I know people love it. So there's a CW guy. Amongst people in the other group, we had uh, Daniel Panabaker, who is Killer Frost in The Flash. And so there's another CW person. Conveniently, those are two of the nice people who aren't obsessed with sex and drugs. Jared plays the character of Clay, who is actually searching for his sister who went missing six months back or something by the name of Whitney. So it's the girl that we didn't see her fate from the first group. This is an interesting take. It's obviously kind of like borrowing loosely the idea. It makes me think of the character in Friday the 13th part four of Rob, who is the brother of Sandra in part two. And he's not so much searching for her. He's searching for her murderer out of a revenge deal. In this case, the character of Clay is looking for his sister. We get both Sackhead Jason and Hockey Mask Jason, which I actually, I like that idea because he didn't acquire the Hockey Mask till the th third movie. So I like the idea if you are going to reboot it or whatever. Sure. I like Potato Sackhead Jason. It's weird. The fact that he has one eye hole cut, weird, creepy image. I like it. But of course, the hockey mask is iconic. It is kind of disappointing that it's not disappointing. It It's lazy. I'm going to say it. it is kind of lazy that he just finds the mask in an attic after he kills a random sex obsessed hillbilly. Yeah, he kills that guy and then just finds the mask. So let's take a step back. What did this movie do right? What do I enjoy about this movie? What are the high points? I want to say the number one, I mentioned it earlier, the number one high point is the cinematography by Daniel Peril. It looks great. And that's not a surprise. I remember the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake looking pretty good too. It's kind of got a similar look. Of course, 
the original Texas Chainsaw is a classic and looks great but horrible, but that's kind of its its appeal. But yeah, like I think the guy does really good work. There's a lot of night scenes in the forest and he knows how to light that stuff, man. He knows how to light those scenes. Uh, what else is good? And that's when the review took a turn. All right, real talk. I don't know how to put perfume on a pig. The fact is this movie is f***ing boring. It has some good stuff. It's fine. It looks nice. It's f***ing boring. It's got nothing memorable. The characters are bland as sh. The characters in all the Friday the 13th movies suck. They're either one note or just flat. They just... They're slasher movies. You don't watch it for the great characterization. That said, there's usually somebody that brings something notable. Uh, here we've got, you know, the supernatural guy, just boring. And we've got Killer Frost, just boring. Like the most memorable guy here is what would traditionally be like the jock guy, except, you know, all the characters are beautiful, so they all look like jocks. But the douchebag, because he's such an exceptionally well, like he just comes across so douchey, it works. While his character sucks and he's very unlikable, the performance is kind of memorable. But, you know, Crispin Glover in Friday the 13th Part 4, like all those characters suck in that movie. He's awful. But man, he's Crispin Glover, and you remember him because the performance. Outside of the douchebag in this movie, everyone's performance is just bland. So bland. And maybe that's part of my issue with the dark, but very slick look of a lot of the 2000s reboots. Yeah, they look nice. They're well shot. They can look both grimy and dirty, but also like somehow in a super polished plastic way but it's not memorable it doesn't stick with me I'm sorry I don't have like more concrete things to say like here's what it does wrong but it's fucking boring <laughs> and listen the original Friday the 13th is at times boring as well I've watched that movie so many times I've probably watched it twice since we've done the Friday the 13th specials parts one through three, a little over a year, almost two years ago, Melanie, my girlfriend and one of the co-hosts of Grawlix podcast with me went and watched the original Friday the 13th in a drive-in theater this summer. That was, that was a lot of fun. That's actually the second time we've seen it on big screen. We went, we've seen it in a movie theater a few years back. It's got its slow bits, but it doesn't feel as boring and forgettable as this movie. I've, been dreading like I front loaded this episode with so much info because I've been dreading getting to the review. I don't know what the fuck to say. Why am I doing a whole episode on this? Because it's the only one left. I guess I could have invited somebody else on to talk with me about it, but like, I don't want to make them watch it. <laughs> there you go. There's my fucking review. Friday the 13th, 2009. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like the bigger issue with some with some of the remakes. They're not all objectively terrible. They're not objectively terrible would at least be something. 
they just don't bring anything new to the table and reinforce their complete lack of necessity for existing. <laughs> what the fuck? Jason has tunnels, underground tunnels. I guess that's how he can get around so quick, which sounds stupid, but they, I, they show, they show it, but I feel like they don't over explain that aspect of it. And I'm okay with it. I don't like his clothes that much, his outfit. I like the, I like the, the onesie. I, I like the, uh, you know, the power, what, what, gotta have a power suit for a power walk. The overalls, that's what I'm looking for, the onesie. I like the overall outfit, overall Jason. Throw Jason some overalls, maybe a tattered like flannel or something that you could barely recognize as a flannel. And, uh, you know, gotta have his handyman utility belt full of, little sharp things that's the best jason outfit i i don't really like his the coat he has in this i don't know it just changes his profile a little bit and i'm not wild about it derek mears plays jason in this so that's a change he's a big dude so he he, he looks intimidating it's not bad Fucking any other Friday the 13th movie gives me so much random, crazy stuff to talk about, even if it's just ranting against the movie. And that's my problem with this movie. It doesn't give me enough either way. You give me enough to either take a just a shit all over your movie or to praise it. Or maybe I'll do a little bit of both, but I'll at least feel one way or the other. I give this movie two and a half stars. Paul, who was on previous... Friday the 13th specials with me, all three of them. He just released today, you should go check it out, his Friday the 13th special for Moose's Monster Mash, his podcast, kind of overviewing the whole franchise. Go take a listen over there, electronicmediacollective.com. But he threw a little little jab, a little comment on Twitter about, oh, he forgot about my rating scale or something, something like that. I'm going to guess he enjoys this movie quite a bit. And that he was thinking two and a half was low. I was like, dude, like, it's fine. But that's it. It's middle of the road. Two and a half out of five. Literally middle of the road. Three is something I'd be like, yeah, I like it. Three stars. That's fine. Um, Two stars I start to get into dislike. Two and a half. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. And that's my review of Friday the 13th, 2009. Well, now wasn't that fun. Uh, You know, getting ready for this episode, I was actually kind of excited to do something different. That's really the main reason I handled this one by myself. I wanted to do a deep dive into behind-the-scenes stuff about the movie. And there's actually, you know, generally there's a lot of behind-the-scenes information out there about all the Friday the 13th movies. But, like, looking into this, and maybe I just didn't find the right info, man, there I was just like, okay, I guess I'll sidestep it and talk about potential sequels to this that almost happened and the legal troubles. (laughs) I mean, this is quite the triumphant return to the airwaves for the Grolic cinematic universe. Well, regardless, it is good to be back. I do hope to have more episodes. They will not be as meandering and salty as this one. Well, maybe not as meandering anyway. I can't guarantee they won't be salty. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great Friday the 13th. I don't know when another one's coming up. Honestly, I really, I don't know why. Most of the movies really aren't that good, but I love this franchise. So I'm happy to dedicate a whole episode to one of the more blander entries. 
I hope you got some entertainment listening to it. You can find this show and our brother, sister, cousin, grandpa show, <laughs> The Grolix Podcast, at GrolixPodcast.com. Like I said earlier, we've been doing live streams of The Grolix Podcast. We call it Grolix Nights because it happens at night. Every week, Thursdays at 8-ish p.m. Central Time. And we've been talking about movies a lot, actually. I kind of I kind of feel bad. This used to be like pretty much the main movie hub to put out movie reviews for the Grolic shows. And then we uh, we kind of moved over there. But you should definitely check that out. Now, I don't know when season five will kick off proper. Till then, I'll see you out there in the cinematic universe. Is that a thing I do? That's a thing I do now. Jason. Da, 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 da.